And uh, I'm opening the show right now uh, for Brian Feldman, although you'll see him on the screen right here. He actually just got back from vacation. Uh, he basically just got back last night. So I'm going to lead the charge for today. But you're listening to Out of Line on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM. How you doing, Brian? I know you're. Uh, get, we're we're getting together here a little bit, but uh, we're, we're gonna have a good show for you guys. Hey, Spence, let me get my mask off first. <laughs> hey, it's good to be back, and I appreciate you. Uh, we didn't even know that I was gonna make it in today. I got in la late last night from Costa Rica, but of course, uh, down there the entire time enjoying myself. You know me, I can't fully get away from sports, so <laughs> was watching Sports Center. A lot of amazing things um, going on that we're gonna talk about. Probably the most amazing to me, anyways. If you're talking would be the nightcap here in a second. Um, hottest team in the NHL and a player that I criticized earlier in the season for seeming not to be showing the same motor skills since his injury of last year. And I've always said that uh, this guy has some of the best hands on the Golden Knights team. His size, his speed, his skating ability all makes him great. And he's a very young player that I thought is a future star, all-star and superstar in the National League. And he just kind of started the season very slow. Boy, as he picked it up. We'll talk about him in a little bit. Um, you know, I know you got some stuff on the Raiders and uh, not a big Mike Mayock fan. And I can understand why. And I know we'll talk about that. And I, I really know you were really preparing for your show a lot about the Tokyo Olympics coming up and how much you are against the Olympics. You've got some really valid arguments. I'm looking forward to running that. I'm Like I said, I'm sitting back. I'm going to take the passenger seat today. <laughs> Yeah. and let Spencer Ostrowski, the whiz, our into news now is uh, filling in as, uh, while Caleb is back to full-time duty and uh, not going to be here. I'd be here sporadically. Um, you're the man running the show, but everything's good, Spencer. I'm looking forward to that. And another thing, to one more thing to, to highlight kind of what's on tap is um, UNLV basketball. Of course, they dropped their last two games of the season, makeup games against San Diego State, and then uh, yesterday against Wyoming. Um, but they're in the Mountain West Conference Tournament. That's not the most surprising. That's not, well, it's not surprising at all. Uh, maybe the seventh seed, probably about where we expected. The most surprising thing is the Mountain West Conference, believe it or not, in this crazy, messed up world we live in right now, could send four teams to the NCAA Tournament. I don't know if that's ever happened or be the first time. It is a possibility. Both Boise State and Utah State are, um, well, Utah State's kind of on the outside looking at but I'd say Boise State looks like they could very well get a, get a seed in this tournament, which is mind-blowing, and uh, some other teams we'll talk about, but it really is a unique year in sports. Uh, this pandemic has turned the world upside down, but also the world of sports upside down. Yeah, so at a tradition, we will play What's on Tap for you. That way we can get our uh, title sponsor in here. Okay. Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. Yeah, what's on tap? Well, as you guys just heard, we kind of did a little bit of a rundown, but uh, we're going to be talking about the Olympics. We're going to talk about Ben Roethlisberger. He took a reduced contract. Uh, the Raiders, obviously, Mike Mayock essentially doubled down to somebody who we'll talk about. There's an NCAA talk I want to talk about as well, and we'll get to UNLV when we do that. It's All-Star Weekend, or I should say All-Star Day, since they're not having a whole weekend for it. The dunk contest at halftime and all that. I'll tell you who's in it. You can tell me if you're even interested in it at all. Uh, but you can also check me out if you're interested in the, the Wiz. Uh, you can go to my YouTube channel, Blue Milk Boys Gaming. But for all out of, everything out of line, you can go to at out of line, Fox LV on Twitter, on Instagram. On Twitter, where I'm much more active, I run the social media account. It's a little easier to get in touch with you guys. Uh, you guys can direct message me. And you can watch the show live on Twitter as well. Watch the show live on YouTube. And just look up out of line Fox Sports. And if you go on Facebook, you go out of line Las Vegas, you'll find our page right there at the top. You can comment live. We'll bring up your comments, display them on the screen. 
Uh, and I think you can actually give a call to the Fox Sports radio station because uh, we found a way to connect over there because uh, we do have Damon Cotton in studio, Dino Damon, future WWE star. Of course, I have to mention that. Always appreciate him. Uh, but, well, I guess we'll start off with Nightcap. We'll just go through it and we'll talk about how dominant they've been. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. The uh, the Knights won last night, four uh, nothing to the Sharks. And uh, well, actually, I'll just kind of give it off to you there, Brian, because uh, there's one player in particular that you want to talk about today who's kind of just putting it all together uh, for the Knights here. Well, the Knights have won, Spencer, six games in a row now, eight of their last 10, 13 of their last 15. The hottest team in the National Hockey League, the club, there's a couple teams that have won two in a row. I know the the Carolina Hurricanes have been playing real lately. But the Knights are the hottest team in hockey, and one of the hottest players in the National Hockey League is a guy we all love here in Bev in Las Vegas. He's been a part of, since the inaugural team, part of the expansion draft. Um, we are, I should say when the expansion, when they came in, um, we're talking about Alex Tuck and Alex Tuck, a guy in his very early twenties, a guy six foot two on skates, makes him about six foot six. And uh, he's an imposing figure out there. He's not afraid of contact. He's not a big contact initiator, but he's not afraid of contact. A tremendous puck handler, plays good at both ends of the ice, and also can distribute the puck really well as well. well. Uh, A good all-around player. This year, I have said he got hurt towards the end of last year towards in the playoffs. And um, I haven't seen him be the same player over the first part of the season in spite of the Knights winning and having one of the best records in the National Hockey League. Tuck hadn't been playing his greatest, and I was critical of him, saying, man, I hope this guy can mentally get back because the injury, he was it was better. He's 100% healthy, but mentally he just didn't seem to have the same motor, the same drive, even to a degree the same skills. Man, you want to talk about, about a guy that's put it together. It's starting with their last loss when he had a, when he had a goal against uh, Colorado, um, this guy has now had eight points in the last six games, two multi-cold games, including last night against the Sharks, a big reason him and Fleury, why they won that game. Alex Tuck is really coming into his own right now and is kind do, kind of doing this year what we saw Shea Theater do on the defensive, you know, as a defenseman last year, really making himself a quality National Hockey League player that is going to start being really recognized by opponents. I think play it, people were worrying about Alex Tuck, did recognize his skill set, and then after the injury last year, this year, just kind of he kind of disappeared a little bit. Not the case anymore. He is unbelievable. And, um, you know, and again, Marc-Andre Fleury, who I mentioned, I, I can't say enough about Tuck, but Marc-Andre Fleury also, Spencer, you know, with the, with the injury to Robin Leonard, Marc-Andre Fleury has stepped up back into the everyday goalie role and is really a good part of the reason this team continues to win on a game on, on a daily basis. And to me, again, the most valuable player on this team, the best player on this team. You know, I don't want to say Marc-Andre Fleury's not. I don't want to say Alex Tucknock. I don't want to take anything away from Alex Petrangelo or Shea Theodore, but it's the captain, Mark Stone. Mark Stone, Spencer, is showing why 
he became the first captain of the Vegas Golden Knights. This guy is a leader on and off the ice. And I'll tell you what, I don't know that there is a better all-around player, two-way player than Mark Stone, who plays tremendously shorthanded great on the power play and leads that first line with authority and as good of a goal scorer as almost anybody in the National Hockey League. I can't put him in the category of uh, obviously of a Connor McDavid or uh, uh, the guy from Toronto. Um, um, oh, I can't believe I can't think of his name in a minute. Aston. Um, but anyways, you can't put him in front of those guys that are amongst the elite players. He's not an Alex Ovechkin, anything along those lines. But Mark Stone is, if you say top 10 players in the National Hockey League, maybe top seven, eight, you've got to put Mark Stone in that discussion. Yeah, well, I, no, I, I can't agree with you more. And it's weird, Austin right? Austin Matthews. I just had to get out uh, thought about <laughs> Austin Matthews. It's kind of strange, right? Because the Golden Knights have a lot of talented players, but we don't have any top 10 players. I don't know if I'd put Mark Stone in the top 10 of the NHL just right now. So I, when I say top 10, I mean, I'm not talking about maybe a top 10. Yes, I am a top 10 player, all skill set. Would he be one of the top 10? It is his overall game and presence that I think makes him a top 10 player in the league because of all that he brings to the table. He is a guy that just commands you to be aware of at all times when he's on the ice. I would say that's a worry. I don't know. I guess I haven't been watching hockey as long as you. So would you say, like, in your lifetime that you've seen a hockey team win a Stanley Cup without, like, the definitive, like, Connor David type of player, the Sidney Crosby's, that kind of thing? Have you ever seen that before? I'd have to think about it. it, it, it it's a tough thing. I mean, when you go back to – how about St. Louis a couple of years ago? I mean, who was there? You know, they, they had that. Now, St. Louis has three or four guys that are top 20 players in the National Hockey League for sure and a great last line of defense. But I don't know that they had a guy you would say was one of the top players in the National Hockey League and they wanted. It can happen. And the reason, and I'm so redundant with this, but the reason it happens in the National Hockey League is because goaltending is so critically important. And a hot goaltender literally can take a team from the eighth seed getting into the Stanley Cup playoffs on the last day of the season to the Stanley Cup finals. And when you say, okay, when or who, I'll just go back. It's not that long ago. Jonathan Quick of the Los Angeles Kings a few years back. Really, you know, as much as the Vegas Golden Knights has brought prominence to hockey on the West Coast, really it opened the door when the LA Kings came from the eighth seed and won the Stanley Cup final behind the most amazing goaltending I've, I think I've ever seen in the Stanley Cup playoffs by Jonathan Quick that year. And um, that right there to me is proof that you can win a Stanley Cup. Now, then again, you might say, well, Jonathan Quick was one of the best five players in the league at goaltender that year. But as far as having a skater, a guy like a Connor right. McDavid or an Austin Matthews, yes, you can, but you are going to have to have one hell of a netminder. The Knights have that. Well, I'm glad you talked about that because I said before the season started that Mark Andrew Fleur will eventually have the full-time starting gig for this team. Now, he does now because of injury, but as of right now, can you just bring back Robin Leonard, just put him right back in the starting lineup? I mean, he's uh, Mark Andre Fleur is allowing the least amount of goals per game in the entire NHL. I mean, at some point, you have to say that this guy is the full time starter. I know Leonard is the future. Fleur is not going to be around for that much longer. But if you're playing that well, I don't care what you what you sign Leonard for. You're going to have to play Fleur because he's been the best goalie for this team and darn near in the entire hockey league. Well, no, there's no question, Spencer, but again, you it, it deals with the age of Marc-Andre Fleur, and I hate harping on that, especially in the day where we're seeing quarterbacks in the National Hockey League play into their 40s, I mean quarterbacks in the, in the National Football League play into their 40s. 
um, and play well. We got a 43-year-old quarterback that just won the Super Bowl. But again, goaltending is such a demanding position. It's the only position where the player never leaves the ice. The only breaks they get are stoppages of play, you know, or in between periods. I mean, they don't leave the ice. They're on their feet pretty much the entire time. It is a very, very demanding position. Plus the flex the flexibility it requires from your ligaments, your joints. I mean, these guys are doing the splits five, six times a game. So I don't know that that you can't throw Robin Leonard right back in. I think Marc-Andre Fleury would have an argument to say, I'm cemented as the number one goalie right now. But, you know, before Leonard went down, it was a, it was like a every other game situation or two games Leonard, one game Fleury type right. of situation similar to the playoffs last year. I think, yes, you get Leonard right back into the mix as soon as you can. I don't know that, you know, I think when Leonard's healthy, like the first game he's available, I think he started Fleury to let Mark know, hey, we appreciate the hell out of what you've been doing, and you are the starting goaltender of the Vegas Golden Knights. You are the face of the franchise still, and you have earned that right again this year with your play to the, you know to this point. But Robin Leonard is an upper echelon goalie. I think maybe a lot of us thought he was better than he is. I don't want to say that he's worse than we thought he was, but you know, is is Robin Leonard what Mark Andre Fleury was in his prime? Absolutely not. I don't think so. I mean, you might have a different opinion, but in Mark Andre Fleury's prime, I think he's one of the top goaltenders of all time. Um, but Robin Leonard, is he very capable? Is he a good enough goalie to get you a Stanley Cup championship? Yes, if the team plays well in front of him and he gets hot during the playoffs. He has that capa- type of capability and type of skill set to get hot throughout the entire Stanley Cup playoffs. But I think right now the Vegas Golden Knights are relying on Marc-Andre Fleury between the pipes and are pretty excited they got a guy like Robert Len- Robin Leonard who's going to be coming back and going to be able to help this team that, oh my God, I mean, how much better can they be right now? The one thing that we're seeing Spencer is number one. They're producing on the power play again. Finally. Something you yeah. had you had criticized them, and you weren't the only one. It, they were criticized not only locally but nationally for their their ability on the power play for a little while. They're now getting the finding ways to score on the power play. But the key is they're scoring when they should be scoring goals, and they are really playing together well. And I'll, I'll tell you something that I have not talked about nearly enough on this show, and neither of you, and we're going to have a whole other show on this, and I'll have probably um, somebody on maybe from the Knights next week to discuss this more. But how about the job of Peter DeBoer? Nobody is really giving him ample credit for this. You were somebody that was was probably the least critical of them firing Gerard Gallant and hiring Pete, Pete DeBoer, and I remember that at the time. And I said, you know, I just think that it was just man that's the brutality of sports at the time because Gerard Gallant was such a popular figure here in Las Vegas and for God's sakes he took an expansion team for the first time in history in any major sport to a to a championship series unbelievable and two years later he's fired but Pete DeBoer is this guy that seems to get the absolute most out of his players. He's a soft-spoken guy, gets upset once in a while, can turn as beat red as the worst alcoholic you've ever seen. But the bottom line is Pete DeBoer gets the job done, and he's not afraid to continuously mix up the lines until he finds the right formula, the right chemistry. And he seems to be doing that now with the Knights. And I think everything is quieted down now about Gerard Gallant being gone and Pete DeBoer being the coach of this team. This is a coach that's going to be around for a while in the National Hockey League, and I think we all need to be thankful we've got him right now. Yeah, Peter DeBoer is objectively a better coach than Gerard Gallant. I knew that all that time ago. Look, Gallant did something special, and he might do something again. He might be the head coach of the new expansion team going in Seattle, funny, goodness, which would be really funny. And he just becomes the uh, kind of the guy who does that. The but, he's the, he, he'll become, a, the, for, for lack of a better analogy, the, the Ryan Fitzpatrick uh, of coaches <laughs> no, in really. the National Hockey League, a guy that just bounces around to a different team and, and, and gets the job done. Exactly. But 
you know, he, he just demands a little bit more of the players. I, I think there was a little bit of too much free reign on the Golden Knights. They got a little too comfortable. The way they started last season, guaranteed. I, I knew in the first week that they weren't going to win the Stanley Cup or get even close because they just lost it. I, I don't. It's very easy to lose a locker room. We saw that with Jack Del Rio with the Raiders a year after being one of the best teams in football, arguably, or the best offensive team in football. So it just it's bound to happen. A guy like Gerard Gallant is just not going to be going, known as an all-time great coach, and that's because he hasn't he's not good in the longevity. The ends of all of his little coaching spurts were not good. But we want to talk about Gerard Gallant forever. There's one more question I wanted to ask you about the Golden Knights, and it's kind of a blaring issue, or not really an issue. It's not the Golden Knights' fault, but they play in the definitive worst division. I mean, the Golden Knights are have played like three less games, and they are taking a demanding lead in, in there. I mean, Colorado is good, yes, and they've beaten the Golden Knights a bit. But when you start going down the bottom of it, the Kings and the Ducks and the Sharks, they aren't. Gonna, they we all knew they weren't going to be playoff teams coming into the season. Does that is that a detriment to the Golden Knights? Like they're taking care of business. They're doing what they're supposed to. Of course, if you have an easy schedule, you win the games. Like you deserve a little bit of credit for for doing that. But when it comes to playoff time and they start facing these really good teams, I mean. That, could that be an issue for the Knights, or are they such a professional team that they've been together enough now that they can just work through it? You know, I think I think this team has faced it. You know, it's such an overused cliche about facing adversity and backs against the wall and, you know, us against the world. But the Golden Knights have faced a lot of that type of scrutiny in their short history. And, yeah, Spencer, I think this is a team that really the cohesiveness. Um, and I think National Hockey League teams might be amongst the most cohesive of all teams that have groups like that of all because we see it with the Golden Knights the, the camaraderie that they have amongst each other but this team really has a special unity, a special chemistry and still the majority of their players come from that the expansion team that started a couple of years ago where they were cast offs and I think that mentality has stayed with this team like I've never seen. Somehow they have they somehow they have um, parlayed that into you know, four good seasons for us to this point, and it really is something special to watch. I will put nothing past this team and the capabilities of this team going forward. And again, real quickly, I know we want to get off the subject of Gallant. One other thing I wanted to add, I still believe that Gerard Gallant was the perfect man to start this team because he himself is kind of viewed as a cast-off. Like you said, a guy that can't finish. So he felt a little, you know, like disrespected to come to this team. So he really fit in with the players. They To have a coach with the same mentality the players is rare. And I think that's what made them so special initially. Now they've gotten this thing where it's not really them against the world anymore more we've got to prove ourselves but you still have these guys that still hold on to this that I was considered not one of the top 10 best players on my team not that long ago guys like William Carlson Jonathan Marchessault, so you know these guys are like man come on you know how, how was I disrespected like that and I still think it has really helped accentuate their National Hockey League career and it's also really helped organize and unite this Golden Knights team and that's why I think they're capable of anything. It's actually kind of fascinating because the Knights will also have to be giving up players I would have to guess during this next expansion draft so at some point in time they're going to have to put a little bit of thought to that. I wonder who on the Golden Knights will be put up uh, you know for offer. I'm guessing 
Like, would you give up a Zach Whitecloud? Probably not. But I mean, who else is there? I mean, you're no, gonna have to put some sort well, of available. They, they talked about a few guys last year that, that you we you know that were that were considered. Jonathan Marchesaw was one of them. Your boy Max Pacioretty was was uh was was True. in the trade rumors for a while. So no one, you know, I think there's very very few people that you say is untouchable. On the Golden Knights team right now, I mean, you just got Alex Petrangelo. They're not going to let this guy go. No. Shea Theodore and him, are, are, are. you're talking about two of the best defensemen in the league. To me, those guys are untouchable. And I think Mark Stone is putting himself in a position where we don't want to lose this guy. And the guy I just mentioned, Alex Tuckman, this is a future star in the league. Those are four guys right now that I consider mainly the nuclear of this team. And I think William Carlson is such a fan favorite. And we see this guy all the time. William Carlson may never score 43 goals again in a season. Right. But, but I don't think he's expected to – score 40. William Carlson is expected to be a puck hound around the puck, making the right pass or the right play at the right time. And throughout his time, at least here with the Vegas Golden Knights, that's all he's done. You always see number 71 around the puck when he is on the ice. And he is a, one of the most reliable, toughest, you know, grittiest players out there as far as not physical stature, as far as knocking people around. But when I say tough, he has no fear. He'll go into the corner and take the hit. He might not deliver it, but he'll take it and still make something positive out of it. But I would say if you're talking about untouchable Golden Knights right now, there's four of them. Petrangelo, Shea Theodore, Mark Stone, Alex Tuck. You got, There's going to be a lot of criticism like, wow, there's so many other people that you should say untouchable. No, man, not in the National Hockey League, not in professional sports. But it's going to make the team better. It's going to make the team better. A lot of people really criticize losing James Neal. Who even talks about him in the National yeah, Hockey yeah. League anymore? And a lot of people criticize about um, Perron. Yeah, he did win a Stanley Cup the following year St. Louis. I love David Perron. I think he's a great player in the National Hockey League. But I think his chemistry was – he felt his role should have been bigger on the Golden Knights. And I think that was a, a little tiny bit of cancer in the locker room at the time for the team. So it made sense to, to let him go. Another big fan favorite and a guy I believe that we keep, even though you don't see his name in the stat book that often, is a guy like Ryan Reeves. And people have he's argued – and, and I know you think – Oh, no. he he caught he essentially cost the Knights the playoffs last year. If that I, hit, I would have. Yeah, he should. Okay, but but I still say his presence. You see other teams play differently when Ryan Reeves is on the ice. He's a guy that gets on the ice, and you've always got it. Really, you know the, the oldest saying in in basketball and hockey: keep your head up. You're going to get your pocket picked in basketball, or you're going to get lit up in hockey. Man, when Ryan Reeves is on the ice, there is never that statement never holds more than keep. He your head will up. be great on the Seattle Krakens. I think he'll I think he'll fit in. He, right. You know what? He'll probably end up there. Yeah. You know, he'll probably, probably be right. one of the players. But, but but he's a guy that I think if we don't have Ryan Reeves. I don't know that Will Carrier is enough to be the protector on this team. Ryan Reeves is considered one of the most intimidating players in the National Hockey League, and I love having that presence. So when we do leave, lose Ryan Reeves, which I agree with you, I think they will lose Ryan Reeves to the expansion draft. I think when you do lose, and if and when you do lose him, you got to find a way to replace the guy too. You do need that tough guy, but you would like to see the tough guy be a little tiny bit more productive on your team. <laughs> of course. At the end of the day, it's about putting the puck in the back of the net. Like Burns killed us in that Shark series a couple of years ago. Good example, Wilson. Uh, of the Washington Capitals right. is another guy exactly. that, uh, that that is as gritty and as tough as anybody in the league, but Wilson will put the puck past the goaltender. Right. Yeah, so that, that's kind of how that position's evolved. It's not good enough to just kind of run the gauntlet, but that, that was a good little Golden Knights discussion here. Uh, I do want to talk about the Olympics. I'm going to try to condense this conversation. 
conversation down just Good, a little we got to get to UNLV. <laughs> Don't forget about UNLV basketball. We'll talk about UNLV okay. basketball because we're going to talk about the All-Star Your game show, though. What am I jumping in for? <laughs> this is the, the whiz today. Well, Out of line with the whiz. So the Olympics a committee for Tokyo has recently announced that there's not going to be foreign fans. So before I even get into the greater discussion about the Olympics, should you have any Olympic event or any Olympics period if you can't bring in people from around the world to watch it? Well, wasn't, I mean, I mean, a big part of the Olympics as it grew into more of a spectacle, I think early on the Olympics was just about countries sticking their chests out and saying, ah, you know, you know, like a company, a country like Switzerland, so to speak, you know, would, would, would get four gold medals in skiing and that would be the world to them. It would make their entire, it would make four years of that. And I think that was the initial thoughts of the Olympics. As, as time has gone on, like everything else, it has become about revenue and money and bringing into cities. And we all know the disasters in Brazil that went on in the Olympics there. The aftermath is still affecting that country to this day. And most people, Spencer, like yourself, you've done a lot of due diligence and research on it, don't even know and realize how negative an impact the Olympics have. Most of these beautiful facilities that millions of dollars are spent on are literally vacated they're, they're, they're all disparate right now that they're, they're they're basically like tourist attractions that have been completely vandalized i mean they don't even exist in half the cases these you know i mean i think in atlanta even they turned like the olympic the olympic uh facilities where the people stayed the, the housing facilities into like projects so that part of it is sad but you're to your point i know what you're getting at is it's about revenue that's what the olympics have turned into like everything else and revenue comes from visitors coming from outside of the country. That's how they make their bid to get the Olympics is to talk about how profitable it will be to their community, how much it will mean to the country itself. And those are the bids when you're out trying to you know, solicit the Olympic Committee to, to let you host the Olympics. That is the idea behind it. Well, we have seen in the last couple of Olympics that that idea is nothing more than a figment of imagination. It's painted through advertising and it's false advertising. It's not what it's supposed to be. So to say that you're not going to let foreign fans into the Olympics and only local fans in Japan into the Olympics, you know, maybe that'll help out the Japanese athletes in certain events a little bit. I don't think it's going to have that much of an impact on the Olympics itself, but worldwide it does. You scratch your head and you say, well, you know, you have, you've got to have certain regulations, COVID regulations still until the world gets vaccinated and this goes away. Why can't you put something, some type of protocol where you, you know, hey, if you want to go to the Olympics, you're going to have to get here, you know, four days beforehand, get tested. I mean, there's got to be a way where, yeah, it's going to be a little bit tougher to get there and to go in, but at least make it an opportunity for that. I think, you know, if you're going to let fans in at all, you can't, you can't just say fans within the country. How is that fair? No, it's it's absolutely not. It just defeats the purpose. And I'll also tell you what's wrong about this Olympics specifically in Tokyo. Well, the, the guy who was heading it had some really sexist comments to say, basically saying that women's talking time should be limited. And it turns out this guy was the prime minister for Japan in 2001. One of the most one of the least popular uh, guys who ever stepped foot as a leader in Japan. He only lasted one year. And somehow this guy is leading the project for the Japanese Olympics. It actually doesn't make any sense at all. These committees end up coming up. And if you want to go all the way back to he Brazil. Was basically, I guess, for lack of a better term, like impeached, wasn't he? I mean, they they, they, they forced him to they resign. They forced him out of there. So how does a guy like that grow and throw into power and end up at the head of the Olympic committee? It actually Somehow, makes no sense at all. The, 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 you know, what really, and, and again, this is, this is complete conjecture, but somehow it involves money. It's oh. got to involve money well, and big okay. money yeah. to have this guy be put in place. There's 
the powers that be somehow want this guy there and there's a reason for it because I was absolutely blown away that he would be heading this whole project and it's starting to it's starting to look like a debacle um and, and what I want to get into Spencer what we're talking about the Olympics as a matter of fact it was something you were going to talk about I mean you really feel and I and I read this and I was kind of shocked but you personally feel that the Olympics should just go away we need to end the Olympics <laughs> I, mean, I have not heard, I, 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 very bold statement if you want to go back to remember those beautiful pictures you saw you saw of Brazil saying like this is our arrival on on the Olympic stage or the world stage that we're a developing country. Well, just to the left of those pictures or just beyond the little mountaintop that you saw was despair. There are people in those cities that didn't have water or any sort of access to health care. It's we cannot like just accept these Coke sponsorships, these subways. Michael felt funny. When the reality is the people in these cities are actually suffering. They ended up pushing all these just homeless people out of the city so they wouldn't be on camera, displacing them, putting people outside of their homes. Olympic athletes for Brazil that put everything into those Olympics because they pumped like half a billion dollars into their athletic programs. And the second the Olympics ended, they abandoned them. There's a guy who won a silver medal in the Olympics and his house was bulldozed about one year later after the Olympic Games, he went back to college, gave up on his dreams, gave up on everything that he had trained for, everything that the Brazilian government was providing for them just as a hoax that, like you were talking about, that beautiful soccer stadium that they had made is now overrun by brush and vandalized from the outside. So, and it just, it doesn't go, it goes further than that, right? Because it ends up like half of the construction projects for the Brazil Olympics were tied to this very huge operation called Operation Car Wash, which essentially ended up having a third of the Brazilian government on bribe. It's kind of insane. And I'm not, it looks, okay, I'm not even on a macro scale. What about a micro scale? The U.S. Olympic team, the women's Olympic team that won the gold medal, one of the best Olympic teams of all time. Well, I'm sure you've heard about Carl Nasser, and then you now it comes out that the head coach for them was also a part of this operation. I mean, he just killed himself because he got he found guilty for sex trafficking and everything like that. And the point I'm trying to make is, is this thing, well, it went on for more than 20 years. So it's a failure of the Olympic system. It's a failure of our government to, for this to happen, period. So I think that's enough to disband US Olympics, period, with how long that went on and how disgusting it was. But the main point of this is we have a free press, right? I know a lot of people on Facebook, you'll see whatever and say this, but. We're, we're allowed to come on and say these things right now because if we were to say this in another country, well, when we meet outside this door, we may not be going home. So the fact that we can say this on the radio now is proof to me that we have a free press. Think about what's going on in other countries. There was a huge sex trafficking operation going on inside, just inside the Olympics in the United States. What about countries where there are, people aren't free? They may know about it and they may not be able to say anything about it. So. I think if it's going on here, it's got to be going on around the entire country or around the entire world. And the fact that that's happening just so that we can have a good laugh and watch some Olympic Games is not worth it to me. Because the powers that be running these Olympic Games, which seem to be like world leaders of all sorts, and it's all tied into this huge scandal and money. Why should we ever have an Olympics if that's what we know is going on behind the scenes? No, you know, I, I hear what you're saying, Spencer. But my guess is, like you said, 
we don't know what's going on in Cubs. We don't we don't monitor them. I mean, Spencer, there has been nightmares and rumors for years and years on how some of these athletes from other countries are basically handpicked when they're children, taken away from their families, and literally their entire life evolves until they run out of gas uh, of, of being professional athletes, basically, even though they're considered amateur because they take this so seriously. They, and, and so – you know, are you going to say that that type of abuse is is it worse than than than, than the trafficking? Of course, I mean that's got to be the lowest form of scum on earth. Doing what we're, what Larry Nasser did. I mean, Spencer, believe me, Larry Nasser affects me because I I was at Michigan State the same time that guy was. So I mean, you know, we we both came from the same area, and it's very very disturbing and bothersome knowing what a piece of garbage that that man was, and now to find out that that it goes deeper, which we always kind of knew anyways. But my point is, in these other countries, when, when basically children, that they realize, wow, this kid looks like he has a certain skill set at soccer, or wow, he might be a boxer because you see a kid punching somebody at five years old in the front yard. And you take them away from their family and you say, this is going to be their calling. Now, I'm sure the country tries to spin it. It's an honor that your child is doing this. But you grow up without your parents. You grow up, and this has been going on for years and years and years, probably from the beginning of time, as far as the Olympics go. So, you know, how do you say it goes away? You know, unless you can regulate it in every country, which you can't be. Yeah, you can take it away, but there'll be other things. You know, Spencer, I just, I think it's just too big of a thing to take away. Fortunately, the United States. Even though it took so long, this was found out. Punishment is being inflicted. You can't go back and erase what's already happened. All you can do is preventative medicine so it doesn't happen in the future. And I think precautionary steps are taken now in the United States to make sure nothing like that will happen again. There's always going to be scumbags and terrible stories, and no way am I brushing this under the rug in any way. But I'm saying the Olympics are a tradition. It's something that, to my, in my opinion, and I think in a lot of people's opinion, brings the world together. It really does. We get to see these other countries and just the opening and closing ceremonies, how magical they are in the Olympics for all of us to see. And these athletes, you know, to spend so much time and effort, it would take away so much to take the Olympics away, not just from sport itself, but from the world and the way the world is viewed. And that's why I think, you know, is there a way to clean it up and stuff? I don't think there's a worldwide way to clean it up, Spencer, unless you have one governing body that governs the entire universe that's never, ever going to happen. You can't clean it up to that degree. I think you work on it to a degree. You try to put the best committee that you can into place and take away some of the corruption. But when it boils down to it, Spencer, it's about money now more than anything else. And, you know, these companies need to quit false advertising on how the great the Olympics are and will be for their economy. And or most importantly, do what you're supposed to do with the money that you receive to put the Olympics on. As you said, in Brazil, it's unbelievable. A few, and when I say a few, maybe a hundred higher upper echelon people got very wealthy off the Olympics. Everyone else got screwed. And that is a company, I don't even know how, they still have all of this debt that they claim they're going to pay back. Where did this debt come from and how did it happen, man? They got the money for the facilities and all those facilities are garbage right now. And that's less than a decade ago. Yeah, well... Okay, well, I'll go back just for a quick second because you talked about, you know, I agree with you. There will always be horrible people in this world who do horrible things. So it's not going to be unavoidable. But what I'm saying is in all these situations that we have seen, the reason like this went on for over 20 years, this whole Larry Nassar thing, it's the system that is broken. So I think until the system is fixed, we should not have any of these games. 
even if it's to the detriment of the world stage, because it, it just, it's just horrible, in my opinion. But we, I have a good, like, 20 minutes on this, and you guys can probably follow me on Delivering Sports, and you can, you know, view the whole thing. But we, we got to move on, because there's a lot more to talk about, because we want to talk about UNLV, because the Mountain West tournament, I think, is starting up here either tomorrow or in the next couple of days, and we'll be there covering it, of course. And you can follow us on Twitter, at AdelineFoxLV, or Facebook page, Sports to get live updates on the, the Mountain West tournament, since... I don't think there's going to be any fans there. So as far as I know, I'm not sure. But UNLV is just kind of not having a great end to the season. They're not having a great season period. They're losing to teams that, I mean, if you told someone they lost to all those years ago, they'd probably think you're absolutely insane. They're not getting enough out of their players. They're just, they, they've just kind of lost whatever spark that UNLV may have had. They, they've lost it now, which is sad because the rest of the Mountain West tournament is actually developing. We're seeing more teams from the Mountain West go up to the bigger tournaments, and somehow the best school from that list is being lost in translation. Well, you know, when you look at, you know, one of the things we talked about earlier, I mean, you know, Nevada, Reno, they lose all their players. They lose Bill Musselman, their coach. And this is a team that really has played well, way better than expected. They're getting the fifth seed, which they basically don't have to play in the buy-in game. Way too over And you got to talk about coaching. Yeah, Jack Johnson is a hell of a little point guard for Nevada Reno, but the bottom line is, is it is the coach. You know, they they go out and they, you know, you, you know, obviously um, things didn't work out for Steve Alford at UCLA. But he comes back to the Mountain West. Vegas could have made a play for this guy. I know we just hired T.J. Altsenberg, so you don't want to, you know, ju- but I mean, now look at Reno, another very top quality. A coach for that team, and he right away puts this team back to at least the upper middle part of the Mountain West Conference. And when you look at this, when you look at the, the Mountain West, Spencer, you know, in general right now, and, and talking about it, it is amazing the teams, like right now, I have the final four teams getting in, in my opinion, right now. I've got Michigan State, who I didn't think was going to make it, but they've been playing really well to get rid of the game against Michigan uh, a couple days ago. 14-11 right now. I would say they're going to get in the tournament. You, Tom Izzo is a guy you want in the tournament. They're a draw. They might end up with an 11 seed, but they'll find their way in. But you're looking at Colorado State, although they just had a bad loss, and so did Boise. But both those teams could end up. San Diego State, I think, is a lock no matter oh, yeah. what happens. That is one of the you know, top 15 teams. Three uh, as good defensively. Dutcher has that team playing as good defensively as any team in the country, as San Diego State is usually known for. And then you got right now on the team on the outside looking in in Utah State, but they're seventeen and seven. You know they'll they'll play the winner of the UNLV Air Force game. They win that game, get to the semifinals, find a way to win the finals. They'll get into the mountain. The, 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 you could legitimately see four teams. In the in the in the NCAA tournament from the Mountain West Conference, and Spencer, I got to tell you that blows me away. How much of that is the pandemic? You think so? Well, I mean, how the hell is Kentucky, North Carolina, Duke? How are they all so bad? Yeah, well, I mean, you have a good point there, but I mean, every team is going through the same thing too. So I don't. Really- Twenty five years since the Duke Blue Devils have not been in the NCAA tournament. A quarter century before your parents had even thought about having you. That 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 team has been in the has been in the uh, the NCAA tournament, and right now they are definitely on the outside looking in. And uh, that is, you know, pending a run in the ACC tournament. That is uh, shocking to me, considering when I looked at their preseason roster and a couple of NBA players on that team, Kentucky, the worst Kentucky team, you know, maybe the worst collegiate team that I have ever seen coached by one of the best coaches in uh, 
in, in, in John Calipari in, in the in the country. And uh, yet this team, I mean, he has been banging his head against the wall this year. The same thing with, uh, you know, with, with, with Roy Williams over in North Carolina, Spence. You don't see this. Tom Izzo, lately is, this team's been on a run and maybe in the last – three weeks, the most improved team in the country in Michigan State. But then Michigan showed them why they're a top five team, and Michigan State is a team, you know, breathing on the NCAA tournament. Well, yeah, I mean, I Duke specifically has had some internal issues with one of their players who ended up leaving the team, and they've been playing a lot better since he left. But you have to go by a team-by-team basis. I'm not exactly sure what's going on inside Kentucky, but obviously this is a pretty – bizarre NCAA season. It's an NCAA season that should have never happened at the sacrifice of player health for for what? So that we can bet on March Madness. I mean, we talked about it for the Olympics. It is all about money, and that's what this season's been all about, too. And I, I just... I don't know. It's just sad that we're talking about all this in a season where you should be able to take advantage, and we should be talking about UNLV right now. Like I, That was the basis of our conversation, right? But none of us want to is there any I, well, UNLV can talk about the Lady Rebels that took that have the second seat in the Mountain West Conference tournament for them? They've done it. They've done a hell of a job and a hell of a turnaround there. Some really really good players. I mean, uh, you know that, that Bailey Thomas, um, you know, on top of being a lockdown defensive player, has become a tremendous offensive player for that team as well. It'll be on the All Conference team at the end of the year. They're a lot of fun to watch. I'm gonna I'm gonna probably be sliding over to watch them as we cover the Mountain West Conference yeah. tournament this well, year. If you go down the list and you go down the rosters for the Mountain West, is UNOV not in the top five? Truthfully, if you go down from top to bottom, do you think UNOV has a top five roster in the Mountain West? Not in NCAA. Yes, I do. I think the roster-wise and looking at the roster, and again, starting with who I still think is one of the top five players in the Mountain West Conference, regardless of where he finishes. Or I think when Bryce Hamilton's motor is running at full speed, which we don't see nearly enough, his skill set is one of the best players in the conference. So that alone would put when you've got one player that has an NBA caliber talent, which I believe he does, it's going to take some work. It's going to take a great trainer. It's going to take a great agent. But this kid has the ability to be in the National Basketball Association. We've seen it. We've seen some of his moves and his skill set. That alone should make you one of the top five teams in the league. Then you add guys. You got a seven footer in Zhang, who you know. I mean, we know it can be very good. Can, we it, know it has flashes of greatness. Um, you know, man, David Blake, Jenkins. David Jenkins has been a very admirable replacement to Amari Hardy. Matter of fact, I, I'm happier that we have him. He's there. better than Amari you, Hardy. You've got some decent outside. Presence. I know Caleb, but neither one of us are giant fans of Caleb Grill. But when he gets hot from the outside, he's a streak shooter that can really light it up from the perimeter. You've got a decent nucleus of the team. Nicole Beck, another guy that, that that can really can really get things done. But um, they don't play together in this team. They, 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 it doesn't seem ever like they have a really good structure. Sometimes, at times, I think that they play the worst perimeter defense in the country. It's amazing. They let teams like Air Force just shoot lights out from three-point. I don't care whether they win that game or not. They should not be getting nearly as many open looks as they get from the perimeter. And when UNLV tr- figures out a way and they start guarding the perimeter a little bit, all of a sudden the inside becomes wide open up. I don't know how you make this team co- cohesive defensively. But that's probably their biggest issue is, man, they become a sieve at critical times in the game. And they allow teams like Wyoming to go on a 15-2 run in the second half and put them away. That can't happen. Well, I think we can both admit right here, right now, live on Fox Sports Radio, T.J. Otzenberger should have never been signed in the first place as the head coach of the UNLV Running Rebels. 
man, I hate to say that. I, I, I don't want to sound like a naysayer. There's already a couple of people at Lotus that have been blocked by coaches from uh, <laughs> on social media. I don't want to be one of those people, but I also want to speak the truth. I'm not impressed. I'm not impressed. I don't I don't see cohesiveness with this team. I don't think he's got it figured out which players should play together. And maybe he should sit down with a pencil and paper and go sit down and talk to Pete DeBoer. Say, man, how do you figure out what players to put together? Because it just doesn't seem like and, – and, and like I said, every offensive trip down the floor, there should be – when he is on the floor, which should be the majority of the time, there should be at least – an, uh, Bryce Hamilton's got to be one of your top options every time down the floor when you've got a guy with his capability. And maybe if you engage him like that every trip down the floor, maybe his motor would run, would run more often than it does. Yeah, and you have David Jenkins, who is a legitimate scoring threat, a guy who can get like seven threes in a game. So it's not like if, if you're double-teaming Bryce Hamilton, there is an other legitimate option. So if it's like that, if every team is focusing that much on Bryce Hamilton, which I don't think they are, there's a clear issue here, and I talked about it two years ago about how I don't like the guy when they signed him. It's a, a coach, and I have actually nothing – me and you both have nothing personally against a uh, coach. I think he's actually a really nice guy. We see him in the press game conferences. It's not like he doesn't have the attention of the players. It's not like he's some horrible dude. I wish him nothing but the best in life. I just don't think that he'll be the head coach of the uh, – you know, be running Rebels for very much longer. Well, there'll they'll definitely be a bit of a little bit of a warm seat next year for him. There won't be for Marcus Arroyo, the football no. head coach, but I'll tell you what, if they look as bad throughout the season next year in a full season as they did this year in the abbreviated season, he'll be on the hot seat after two years, and I don't care. He should be because that was one of the most brutal UNLV teams I've ever seen on the field in all of my – in my years since 2012 following that team, and that's what, nine seasons now. Yeah. It was brutal and very, very <laughs> difficult to watch that football team this year I mean I remembered in that Wyoming game it was like the second game the seventh play from scrimmage Spencer we saw it literally I thought we were back in in ancient times and Moses was on the field because I saw the Red Sea part like I said both of your parents could have drove semis through that and, and made it to the end zone without being touched I've never seen an opening like that and how you can be that defensively unaware is beyond me and, uh, and wow, I mean, we've seen some bad defenses in UNLV in the last couple of years, Spencer. This might have taken the cake for the worst one ever. Well, yeah, it looks even worse now because Marcus Arroyo was the offensive coordinator for Justin Herbert, who looked significantly better in the NFL than he ever did playing at his time in Oregon. There were a lot of questions for him coming out that he wasn't that good, and that was the guy leading the charge for that offense. Yeah, and I'll say one more thing. You know, you've got a guy now officially on an NFL roster that was part of UNL's defense for four years in Javen White. And I'm not saying Javen White's going to ever be a starter in the National Football League. He probably is going to be a lifetime uh, special teamer, maybe spot player here and there. But here's the thing. We have a, we had, there was an NFL player on the roster at UNLV, and they still were one of the worst defenses in the country. That, to me, equates to coach. And, and I'll and I'll stick to that forever. Now, granted, Marcus Arroyo wasn't part of the teams that Javen White was a part of, but you know, then that was Tony Sanchez. But Tony Sanchez got so much done off the field that I give him a small pass. He was a high school coach, a little over his head, but tremendous in the community. Marcus Arroyo has been neither in his one season. He doesn't talk to the media. He he literally. Um, blocks media members from his social media. I mean, I've never seen anything like this. And yet completely unimpressed, impressed by the quarterbacks that he was able to produce in Oregon for sure.
but yet am I per, am I impressed by what we've seen or no? And I can't even talk to the guy to get impressed. So we'll <laughs> yeah. leave that alone. I know there's other subjects you want to touch on. One thing I did want to mention, and you know, and I didn't get involved. I'm usually very involved in this, and uh, it's the first year I'm not in NASCAR. But it is NASCAR weekend this weekend. Yesterday, um, AJ Allmendinger did win uh, the the um, Xfinity the 300 Xfinity race series yesterday, and today, of course, the big one going on, and that is. Um, that is going to be today. I, I think it starts. Uh, you know, it's a, they said that was a 150 mile race, but it's. Uh, but anyways, today you've got um, uh, Martin Truex on the pole for the Pennzoil 400, and uh, he's had real success here. Harvick, Denny Hamlin, Chase Elliott, Brad Kozlowski, Joey Logano. Listen to the the, uh, the top starters that Kurt pushes down to 25 to one. But this is going to be a fun race today and pretty cool. I'm kind of bummed I'm not going, but just got back from Costa Rica. I won't be there. We'll talk more about it next week. But um, if you get a chance, I think they are allowing fans into that race yes. on a limited and there's maybe some tickets available i'd get down there man seeing nascar and especially in front of a limited crowd is one of the coolest experiences ever so definitely check out nascar weekend and the pencil 400 going on today yep and uh we'll actually go into fact this just real quick fact this. if you don't like the facts take your ass back to bed fact this yeah it's a fact mike mack said he would quote Pound the table for Derek Carr. Pound the table. What does that mean? I First of all, I have no idea what that means. <laughs> but it, clearly it means he has highly uh, glowing praise for the guy. This is a lie, I think. If Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson were available for the Raiders in trade, you're going to take that trade, obviously. And you're going to do it pretty quickly. Uh, Brian, how do you feel... Okay, I'll ask you first, and then I'll tell you my my final opinion on Derek Carr here. Should the Raiders not be willing to trade Derek Carr for anything? Is Mike Mayock lying? What do you take? No, I don't think he's lying. I really believe that John Gruden has a good relationship with Derek Carr, and I believe John Gruden is sold on Derek Carr. Again, Marcus Mariota was nothing more last year than a security blanket, a starting quarterback that has running skills, a little bit of a different skill set than than Derek Carr, and I think it was a good pickup to have as our backup. But I and I say our here I am a Raider, you know, yeah. one of my Raiders had today. But but in all seriousness, um, I think they are sold on Derek Carr. I think you are right, and I think you have a kind of succumb to the fact that they are going to give this guy another big contract. And you know what? Derek Carr at moments, Spencer, not all the time. I've seen some bad decisions. But, you know, as far as when I take cumulatively all of the 31, 32 starting quarterbacks in the National Football League, I, I don't know that he's not in the middle of the pack, if not even a little bit ahead of the middle of the pack. Because like Caleb has said many times, he is capable of making all four throws necessary to play in the National Football League. And Carr is a accurate, deep thrower. And, and and we saw that this year. There's been times, question, uh, Spencer, in the first couple of years where I was I couldn't disagree with you. I think he is maturing. I think like anything else, when you do something in life, repetitiveness, and the, in the National Football League, what you realize with quarterbacks, they either get it or they don't get it. Over time, they either start making those throws. At the beginning, almost every quarterback, very few come into the league without happy feet. Man, the speed of the game... The, you're realizing that when you were in college, that every single player is the best player you were going to face on the other team at every position. And the speed is so incredible. When you talk to new quarterbacks, the national football league, the, the ones that I've interviewed when they first get into the league, you know, their eyes are gigantic. They're that it's like, Oh my God, the speed is so ramped up. Well, some quarterbacks either at some point in time, 
the game slows down to them. Some players a lot quicker than others. Russell Wilson, I don't think I've ever seen the game slow down quicker for a quarterback than I did for Russell Wilson, how quick he got acclimated, where Patrick Mahomes sat on the bench for a couple of years. Russell Wilson was thrown right to the fire day one. He beat out Matt Quinn for that that starting job with Prince Seattle right off the get-go, and he never looked back. Within a year, he's taken the two years, he's taken the team to the Super Bowl and wins the Super Bowl championship. The same thing happened years ago. I saw that happen with Joe Montana when he came out of Notre Dame. You know, he was almost thrown to the Wolves immediately, and the guy just responded. Very few quarterbacks, Ben Roethlisberger, another one, that really made that transition very quickly. Most don't. It takes a year or two. But in that year or two, you either develop a knack for the excessive speed of the game and how much is picked up, or you don't. And um, Derek Carr has developed that knack, Spencer. I think he is a, he is a, accustomed to the speed of the game. The key is offensive linemen. Quit spending so much money on offensive linemen that aren't that good. And go out and get this guy protected. Although, like you said, 30 points a game. Offense isn't the problem with the with the no, Las no. Vegas Raiders. I've come to peace with Derek Carr. I don't think he's the greatest quarterback in the world. He's better. He's probably a better quarterback than Rich Gannon. But I mean, that's the lowest bar in history to clear for the most part. He, he was okay. I mean, he was the best quarterback the Raiders have had in a very long time. Uh, the last Hall of Fame quarterback played in the '90s for the Raiders, so not in my lifetime have I ever seen one. But can you make it to the playoffs with Derek Carr? Can you win playoff games with Derek Carr? I mean, we saw a guy for the 49ers, I can't think of his name right now, who was terrible, and he just went to the Super Bowl. They didn't win it, but uh, Jimmy Garoppolo. Garoppolo, Yeah, Yeah, so it's possible to win, I think. Terrible, Spencer. Jimmy Garoppolo is good enough to be a starting quarterback. Derek Carr would have made the throw that won them that game. That long. I I won't disagree with that at all. Derek Carr is a better, better, more accurate I think we can both agree on that. So, you know what? I'm not very happy that they're going to give him a huge contract, but I can live with it because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. At the end of the day, it's who are you going to get that's that much better? That's when when they had a proficient offense last year. I think you can win playoff games with Marcus Mariota, but what I'm what I'm trying to get to here is that the Raiders have no talent on defense. They're the least talented defense in the entire NFL. So it doesn't matter if we get Russell Wilson. Heck, it didn't even if we got Patrick Mahomes, this would not be a playoff team because you can't score much more than over thirty points per game. You can't ask much more for that. But when you have a Cleveland Farrell, Jonathan Abrams, Corey Littleton's coming on the team every year, terrible, terrible talent who can't do anything, who cares who's sitting in that quarterback? Tom Brady, Aaron Rodgers, go down the list. As long as Mike Mayock is the GM of the Raiders, they will never get close to the playoffs. Another eight or seven win season next year. They'll be on the hot seat. They'll be terrible again next year. Then they'll all get fired, and then we can have hope. Brian, if I had to tell you you had to wait 700 days to have hope for the Raiders, would you believe me? It's true. Well, you know, I mean, I've had to wait, we'll have to wait 700 years to have hope for Detroit <laughs> Lions. So, so that that's not a shocker to me. But, but no, it is it is discouraging when you invest all this money in a, in a very very talented head coach in John Gruden. He's top uh, hundred million dollars, and I love John Gruden. I think he does a great job. I think the players always buy into what he says. But you can only do so much with the talent that you have. And I think John Gruden is getting the most out of this talent. And I'm not disagreeing with you. I think other than other than than Crosby. I don't know, other than Max Crosby, I don't know of a guy that uh, would, would start on another team in the, in the National Football League defensively, and there are others. I, I, I'm being a little bit overly critical. Yeah, I think that, that defensively there are coachable players, but you really need to go out and spend some money and make some moves defensively because the oldest adage in sports, and I'll live with this till the day that I die, defense wins championships, and the Raiders' defense sucks. So you're not winning a championship. Oh, Las Vegas Raider fans, hey, I'm right there with you. I'm a Detroit Lions 
fan. I'm trying to embrace him and love him. But the deal is, if you don't have a defense, you're not going to win. It's just that simple. Yeah. So don't get enamored with all these offensive stars. Start focusing where it needs to be focused, the defensive side of the football. Well, that's all the time we have. Uh, so that's our <laughs> optimistic look on the Raiders. But I want to thank Dino DeMond Cotton back in the Fox Sports uh, studio. And come on down to uh, Kicker's Sports and Gaming Bar. Lots of great uh, beer specials and just tons of TVs around here for Monday all nights too. Great night to come on a Monday night Sunday or Sunday nights. They have their trivia, a lot, a lot of cool stuff here at kickers and come on down, drink specials during the show. And also, man, if you are a, a hero, the, the, the heroes out there, they are getting 50% off their bill 24 seven.